happy and blessed uh, Memorial Day weekend to you. I hope that you've got an opportunity to, to do something meaningful, special uh, this, this weekend. I know many of you were talking to, to me before the service and are involved in uh, Memorial Day events or charity runs or, or other um, uh, times of, of just reflection and intentional appreciation, which is what uh, this weekend is and, and what we should, as John mentioned in his prayer, to take time to, to be thankful, to take time to remember those who have um, made an ultimate sacrifice. We, we are always um, and should always be thankful to so many of you who have served and, and our veterans and the men and women, uh, many of you that have um, made that kind of a sacrifice, but we certainly remember those who've made the ultimate sacrifice this Memorial Day weekend. But I do hope it's also a chance to have a little fun and maybe be with friends and family. Uh, be safe if you do. Have you seen the heat index for this weekend? 101 degrees heat index. Y'all pray for me. Because um, Tony's trying to kill me. Because we're going, we're going to go do some fun things and we're going to be outside for much of the day tomorrow. And uh, I have to wear jeans. Um, and and oh, it gets worse. It gets worse. Because I had, um, I had some procedures done on my legs this week, some outpatient procedures. And so in the healing and recovery from that, I have to wear compression stockings. So if you see me doing this, it's because I'm fixing my hose. I don't got ladies. I don't know how you do this stuff. So I'm, I'm wearing these. So I'm like going to be double layered tomorrow between these and the jeans. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's brutal. You guys should have been there, though, when I went to the doctor's office on Wednesday. I had to do it over two days. Cassidy was my driver. Cassidy's since left for camp. And if she hadn't left, I would have kicked her out. Because we're sitting in the, I'm in the waiting room at the doctor's office. And they're like, um, do you have compression stockings? I'm like, oh, yeah, right here in my pocket. Um, and uh, they said, well, you'll need to buy some. I'm like, that's fine. And so... Cassie's trying to get the girl to get me ones with lace on them. And I'm like, no, no. So they're not. They're not, by the way. They're just normal. But um, anyway, so, so I don't know. That's probably way more than anybody need to know. But um, anyway, we're, we're doing that. But if my legs look nice, it's because I'm wearing stockings today. So um, anyway. All right. I could go further, and all of it would get me in trouble. So let's segue. Um, we... Uh, we do on a, a weekend like this, this weekend, not like this, this weekend we remember, as, as I said, in all seriousness, those who have paid an ultimate sacrifice, and, and that's the heart of Memorial Day as it started as a remembrance in, in really after the Civil War, and then has since taken on a time to remember all those who have, who have lost their life serving our country and, and earning and protecting the freedoms that we enjoy. Also, not a part of Memorial Day, but, but it's also always appropriate for us to remember a wider scope of those who, who faithfully serve and, and, and sacrifice. Really, Memorial Day is about recognizing sacrifice, and, and that comes in many, many forms in many different um, avenues of service. And, and the sermon title this morning, as, as you may have looked at, is First Responders, and we're going to kind of get to that bridge in a moment, but I, I started with that thinking about whether it be, be soldiers or servicemen and women, or whether it be those uh, who we often think of as first responders, uh, paramedics, firefighters, police officers, 
uh, response personnel, but men and women that run into places that others are running away from. That was the, 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 the description that was most vivid for me in the aftermath of 9-11, was that description of the men and women in the videos we saw of men and women who were running into buildings when everybody was running out. And they were doing it in the hopes of saving lives. They were doing it in the hopes of reaching somebody who was in a place of need, who needed to be cared for, to, to be protected, to be rescued, if you will. So that, that becomes that image of, of first responders, those who go in and, and respond and move toward somebody in a time of need, even at the, the risk of their own safety and, and well-being. And so, so we think about that, and it's not always just the, the, the professionals. It's not always um, firefighters and, and police officers. Sometimes it's just men and women who happen to be in that place at that time who respond in that kind of a, a manner, who, who take risks to save others. We've all seen um, images of, uh, I remember years ago, and I can't remember the details, but I think it was one of the, the um, was it Washington, when, in the winter when the plane went off the, the runway, and, and the guy who dove into the icy waters to save lives. Those kinds of stories, and we could go, I mean, there's all kinds of stories. The most recent to honor is, is the, um, the young man Kendrick Castillo, I think. Kendrick Castillo was his name, May 7th, in the, the, one of the most recent school shootings in um, Colorado. The young man who protected his classmates and gave up his own life because he ran toward danger when everybody was running away from it. And, and again, we could... We could go on and on about stories of heroism and men and women who have made those kind of sacrifices, but it's that instinct to say that my, my, my instinct, my heart, immediately thinks about who can I reach in a time of need and trouble. And so we think of that in, in a physical sense, in a, in a physical protective or, or rescue kind of um, uh, capacity, but we're going we're gonna to shift the thinking a little bit beyond the physical to the spiritual this morning. As we look at a story in Acts uh, chapter 16, uh, this is the ministry of Paul and Silas. and They're the, the primary evangelists in, in this story in Acts, but also a part of this uh, is Timothy and, of course, Luke, who is the, the writer of, of, this, of this book. And so we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 16... Verse 9, part of this missionary journeys of Paul. And this is what we read. It says, um, During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day went on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of the district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of um, Thyatira named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth she was a worshiper of God the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message when she and the members of her household were baptized she invited us to her home if you consider me a believer in the Lord she said 
Come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, that we would have our hearts open to you. Like Lydia, open our hearts. Speak. And just challenge and encourage and move us to faithfulness. These moments we give to you, these words I give to you, I pray that they are pleasing to you. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. So, a different concept of first responders here for Paul and Silas. Whereas the examples that, that we talked about a few moments ago that I talked about are, are those who moved toward physical need, somebody in danger, somebody at risk, somebody hurting. What we see here is in this story in Acts chapter 16 are Paul and Silas responding to a call that is birthed out of a spiritual need. And that is this vision that Paul gets of this man in Macedonia that, that says to Paul, come to Macedonia and help us. Come and help us. But it's, it's not a physical deliverance. It is this, this vision that Paul gets of a people that need to be told the story of Jesus. That need to, to hear the gospel. And so the heart of the story is Paul's, um, at least the first part of the story, the, the heart of the first few verses, is Paul's faithful response to that, that plea. Come and help us. But it is an interesting turn of an about-face for, for Paul and for Silas. It's an interesting transition for them that, that only becomes clear to us if we read the wider story. I, I picked up in, in Acts chapter 9 at the, the vision that Paul has. But if I'd have read a few of the earlier verses, what you'd have been made aware of what you'd know and, and maybe you already do know is that this was not Paul's original plan. As Paul and Silas are traveling, he wanted to go to areas of Asia Minor. He wanted to go to areas um, of what we know as present-day Turkey. And, and the scriptures tell us twice, and I'm kind of paraphrasing the verse, that, that God said no. First, when he wanted to go to Asia, God prevented them from doing that. And then they wanted to go to, um, to other parts of Asia Minor, Phrygia and, and Bethanthia. And, and, the script, and the scriptures say that G, the Spirit of Jesus told them no. And that's an interesting phrase, and, and it's, a, it's vague in the scriptures. It doesn't really tell us how God told them no. We, we tend to read that, and we think, you know, God put a big stop sign in front of them. But we don't know. We just know that something didn't work out. Something kept them from going the direction that Paul had thought they were supposed to go. And then he gets this vision to go to Macedonia. And here's what's interesting. If you look at a map, Asia Minor's here, and Macedonia's here, north of Greece, or part of Greece. So you have almost literally a 180-degree turn. Paul thinks he's going this way, and God diverts the course that way, in the exact opposite direction, in a new path, a new road. It's not even just a bend in the road. It's a complete turnaround. And, and I just started to, to think about that a little bit deeper 
in the sense that how often in our lives do we reflect and see that God has worked in ways that has turned our course around. That, that we wanted to go here and God directed our course there. How many times do we look back upon our story and see that, that things didn't quite go the way that we had planned or expected to them to go and see God's hand in, in the midst of that? I, I don't think it's, it's, in fact, most often, I, I think it's subtle. I think it's, it's circumstantial. I mean, it'd be nice if God appeared to all of us in the burning bush like Moses or he'd write in the sky, this is what I want you to do. But most of the time, in my experience, it doesn't happen that way. It's things that don't quite work out in one way that start to, to lead us in other paths. But the difference between um, fate and faith is, is God. And what I mean by that is that those of us who understand God's work in the circumstances of our lives see it as more than just chance. And, and so often in, in my life, I've seen, and too often in a rearview mirror, I didn't see it at the time, but that God has kind of turned our course. That God starts to move us in different directions. I would love to know how Paul experienced the no's. I'd love, I, and I think Luke is intentionally vague on this. He doesn't tell us exactly what happened. He just says, Paul knew that that's not where God wanted him to go. How many times have you experienced that? I could tell story after story, and sometimes I have, of, of times that I look back and I see God diverted a course for Tony and for me. I mean, we, I've told you before, we got engaged on Stone Mountain in Georgia, and part of the reason we did that is because we both believed after we got married we were moving to Atlanta. I believe that's where I was going to go to school. I believed it was perfect. It was, it was symmetry. I'd been born there. It seemed it made sense to go back there. I loved uh, the city. And circumstances changed. And, and courses changed. And all of a sudden, we ended up from Atlanta to, to North Carolina. And I believe it's exactly where God wanted us to be. Not that it, it was better for everybody, but it proved, I believe, to be the place I needed to be, that we needed to be. And, and a lot of times in life, I see that. And, and I wonder how many times in your life you look back and, and you see that. You look through the eyes of faith and see that God has just moved you in a new direction. That's what God does here for Paul. And the power of the story is that Paul's obedient. Because there are a, a whole a whole another topic are the times of my life that I believe God has tried to move me in one direction and I've stubbornly gone another. That usually doesn't work so well. But Paul is faithful. Paul and Silas, they're, they're faithful, they're obedient. Yes, we wanted to go here, but we feel God's calling us here, and that's where we're going to go. And so they respond, and they go to Macedonia. And they move toward this call of somebody in need. They're, they respond to the call of this person who says, come over and help us. And so they get to Macedonia, and it tells us, in verse 13, something that is very significant, if not incredibly subtle. And that is, it says that Paul and Silas went to a place by the river where they expected to find a place of prayer. And they sat down and they spoke to the women. They spoke to the women. Now, the women part is really significant because of the culture of the day. Remember, Jesus startled his disciples when he spoke to the woman at the well. You know, here Paul and Silas are following that model. They're speaking to the people that God has placed there, and it happens to be the women. 
And that, in that culture, is very, very significant. But, but what I also find very significant is the word spoke to. Spoke to. Because most often when we think about Paul, when I think about Paul, as, as with the other apostles, I think about preach to. That's, that's why I think about them as these great preachers who stood before crowds of people to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter on the day of Pentecost, before thousands in Jerusalem, thousands who come to faith. Um, Paul before city officials and Roman officials and in, in places of worship where crowds gathered where he preached because he had that gift of oratory and, and, and rhetoric and, and speaking well. And so very often, that's the model of evangelism we have, that, that these apostles preached, and in their preaching, the gospel spread. And that certainly had an impact, and all of that was true to a point. But I think in Acts 16, 13, we get a glimpse of really how the gospel spread throughout the Mediterranean. And it wasn't so much through the great sermons that Paul or Peter or James or John or anyone preached, but it's through Christians followers of Jesus who are willing to sit down and speak to other people. And for me, there's a big difference here. Preaching is valuable. It's important. I'd be a little hypocritical if I said it didn't matter as I stand before you and preached. But preaching is a one-way conversation. It's, it's a one-way conversation. You're saying inevitably, from time to time, you will be sitting out there, if you come regularly, and I will say something, and you are going to think, hmm, I'm not sure I agree with him. You're going to think, hmm, no, I, I don't know if that point works for me. I don't know if I see it that way. If you don't think that from time to time, you are not listening. <laughs> You're not. Because I'm not... No, don't clap. No, don't get too excited. <laughs> but, but it's... We are on this journey together. God's called me to this. But, but God hasn't endowed me with all knowledge of all things. I do my best to be faithful. But, but it's me sharing with you what God has placed on my heart. That has a place. I don't know why you're laughing down there. My wife and Christy are laughing their head off down here in the front row. But it, but it is one way. Yeah, it is, it is a one-way conversation. That's what I love about the small groups that take the sermon information and the things, and then they get together because it gives a chance for a preach to to become a speak with. And it allows for conversation. You can't have that with me too much up here. You can try, but it would be rude to everybody else for you and me to start a conversation. Uh, sometimes, yeah, there's a little banter that goes on. But, but what Paul does, or what, what Paul and Silas do here, is it, it says it doesn't that they preached in this setting, but they sat down and spoke. And spoke to implies, at least for me, a two-way conversation. To speak with somebody implies not only to share your words, but to listen to theirs. So I preach here, but if we go to lunch after, we would sit and speak. We would talk to each other. And, and that's what I think Paul does here. And why I think this is so significant is this is what I think becomes the catalyst of the gospel. This is how the gospel begins to, to spread throughout the Mediterranean. It's Christians who are willing to sit and have a conversation with others to tell the story about Jesus, but not just to speak, but to listen, to listen to the stories of others, to hear where people are coming from. I believe Paul got to know Lydia as they sat and, and they spoke, and they had meaningful 
conversation. I, I think we have a very narrow view of what evangelism looks like. Most of us would think, well, I'm not evangelist. I don't get up and preach. I don't get up and teach. But if you can have a conversation, you're called to be an evangelist. And guess what? All of you can have a conversation. All of you do have conversations. It becomes this, this powerful image for me of, of what sharing the gospel truly looks like. He just spoke. Paul and Silas and the others had the conversation. I'm amazed at the stories I hear from people whose faith was shaped by somebody who was willing just to talk to them about Jesus, just to have a conversation. In fact, in here, Friday morning, we had a service of celebration for Janie Ballard. And I was amazed at the stories I heard of people who would just talk about how Janie would talk to them about faith, or Janie would pray with them and for them, or Janie would challenge them in conversation. It was relational. See, here's what the trap we fall into, and this is what I, I find to be so risky for us. We, we very often, if I can change the verbiage a little bit, we talk at people, but, but very seldom do we talk with people. And, and we like to tell people what we think. We like to tell people what we believe they should think. Sometimes we just need to listen. We just need to listen to where they are and look and ask God to give us the opportunities then to share his good news. That becomes this image of, of evangelism, and it is powerfully effective. It says that Lydia opened her heart to the Lord. She opened her heart to the Lord. She and her family were baptized. And there's a whole other sermon in the fact that Lydia is the central figure. This kind of goes back to Dorcas again. I love the way that Paul and, and the writer of Acts, uh, and, or Luke as the writer of Acts, puts women center stage. This isn't about her husband. In fact, her husband, if she's even married, is not even mentioned in the story. I think that's awesome. It's Lydia. She's the dealer of purple cloth. She's, she's the central figure person and she comes to a life giving faith in Jesus and it begins to transform not just her family but an entire community through conversation what are the opportunities that God gives us there was a famous um, English biologist Tom, uh, Thomas Henry Huxley he died in 1885 uh, he was a very well-known agnostic uh, he was known as uh, Darwin's bulldog because of his um, belief in, in Darwin's, many of Darwin's theories of evolution. He was at a party over a, a weekend at a cottage out in the country. And uh, because of the location, every, all the guests stayed for the weekend. And so that Sunday morning, most of the guests got up and, and went to church. And, and Huxley didn't. He politely refused or declined. But he turned to one of the persons that he knew, maybe a friend, but that he knew to be a very um, committed Christian. And he asked him, he said, would you skip church today and just talk with me? Just tell me about um, why you're a Christian and why you believe what you believe. <laughs> the guy looked at him and says, I'm not talking to you about that. He said, you're, you know, you're a, a debater. He's like, I'm not smart enough. You'll, you'll just undercut everything I believe. And he said, no, I don't, I don't want to argue with you. 
It's like, I just, I just want to listen. And so they did. And, and they spent that morning, and he just listened to his friend tell him about why he believed and why it mattered to him, what he believed and why it mattered. And I would love to tell you the story ends with Huxley giving his life to Jesus and become a Christian. It's, it's not quite that beautiful a, a, a tale. But it's, the response that, that Huxley gave him at the end was very powerful and very telling. After it was all over and their time together had come to an end, he said, you know, he thanked him for sharing. And he said, I would give my right hand to believe what you say is true. I would give my right hand to believe what you say is true. And that is significant to me because while we don't know if God ever did anything more in Huxley's life with that seed, something resonated. He, he wasn't ready to make a commitment of faith. He wasn't ready to believe. But something began to stir within him. And it stirred because somebody was willing to tell the story, to have a conversation, and to talk about why Jesus mattered. Friends, we're called to share the gospel. We're called to be evangelists. That does not mean you're called to stand up here and preach. Some of you may be. Some of you have this gift. But I know for most of you, if, if um, studies and, and research proves to be true, that most of you doing this is terrifying. Public speaking is the number one fear that people have. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld tells that joke that public speaking is the number one fear and death is the number two fear. So that means at a funeral, most people would rather be in the casket than dueling the eulogy, you know. But I, I know that's not everybody's caller to teach you. But we all can have conversations. Because God has called you to be a first responder for somebody. God has, has called you and, and sometimes turned your course so that you will be in a place and you will have the conversation. You'll be able to listen and hear, but find an opportunity to tell somebody why Jesus matters. And here's your testimony. And I'll phrase, I'll give you the question. You answer this and you have your story. You have your conversation. It's this. What is it about Jesus that you can't live without? What is it about Jesus that you can't imagine living without? When you answer that question, you have your conversation. Now, I'm not saying force it into every conversation. That's why listening matters. Find the opportunities for those who are open to hear. Because it's a vulnerable thing. In fact, I think the conversations are way more vulnerable than what I do up here. This is a lot easier than the one-on-one -on -one conversations. Because if I'm up here and I make one of you mad and you leave, I still have another 150 here to talk to, <laughs> to right? And I've had that happen. I've, had, I've seen people walk out and I go, oh, okay, well, I'll just look at the rest of you. So, um, but one-on-one -on -one is vulnerable. But it's powerful. Paul responded. Paul talked, conversed, and then Lydia listened. She listened. She heard, and her life was changed. Be a first responder. Ask God for the opportunity. Because if you ask God to provide you the opportunities to share your faith, hear me say this. If you ask God to do it, God will answer that prayer. I guarantee God will give you the opportunity if you are open to it. So Paul responded in faithfulness. He shared, Lydia and Paul talked and they listened and a life was changed. Brothers and sisters, be a first responder. Look for those opportunities to not preach at, 
but to speak with others and tell them why Jesus has made a difference in your life. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we, uh, we have to be honest about that prayer. We have to be ready to ask ourselves, do we want that opportunity? Are we prepared to respond faithfully, to, to, to turn a course if necessary, so that we can respond to others and tell them about Jesus, to share through our words and, and our love and compassion why Jesus has made a difference, to have conversations, to be open to listening as much as we speak, and to bear witness to the good news of Christ. Lord, I, I pray that all of us would seek those opportunities, would step in faith and, and have courage, and to, to respond in faithfulness to the opportunities you give us to respond to, the, to others in need. We, we pray for this. We ask your spirit to move us. And most importantly, we pray that through your, your power at work within us that we'd be obedient and faithful. In Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.